Good to be with you here this morning and excited to continue in our study of the book of Daniel. If you have uh, your Bibles with you, you can start turning there now. We're in chapter 3 this morning. And as Chad mentioned earlier in our time of worship, we uh, can't help but notice the moral decline in our culture. It seems like day after day more is being exposed really everywhere we look from political corruption to extramarital affairs, sex trafficking, school shootings, blatant racism, drugs legalized, marriage redefined, and even selling baby parts. Don't have to look far to see that we're headed in a dark direction as a culture. And really, the further our culture goes in this direction, there's more and more crossroads that we come to as followers of Christ that we come to the conclusion that we can't participate. There has to be a line drawn. There has to be a stand that is made. But God doesn't call us to hide or fight, but he does call us or invites us to stand. So my question for us this morning is what stands is he calling you to make? What is he tugging on your heart? What is he pushing and and prodding of, of where I can't participate any longer in the culture? Although there's the temptation to keep going as usual and continuing in our cush lives, it's easy to, to go with the norm. Like the picture, I think of what's happening in our culture is the same as the picture. This is the most random connection ever. Are you ready for this? The picture of how you boil a bullfrog. Of course, you've all wondered this, how you do boil a bullfrog. Basically, the explanation of how it works effectively, in case this is on your Sunday afternoon menu, is you do not put a bullfrog into a boiling pan of water because why? It would immediately hop up, it would get out of there. That's similar in our culture. The effective way to boil a bullfrog is to put them in cool or even lukewarm water to start with and gradually raise the temperature, not knowing they'll actually, to their death, stay in that boiling water. Think about that picture as dark as it may be. That's a little bit of what's happening in our world. As the temperature rises, we have a choice whether we just get comfortable in the hot tub or whether we take a stand. Let me pray for us as we dive in. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this time to be together and this picture that we're going to see in the story of Daniel as as the temperature rose. These men of faith chose to dig in their heels and to not bend a knee. I pray that that would happen here this morning, that there would be resolve that would happen in our minds and our hearts, that we would conclude we're not going to participate in the decline. We're not going to fight against it. It's us for them, not us versus them, the world around us. But we're going to make choices and resolves to stand. Pray that you'd help us in that. We recognize we can only do that in your power We ask that you'd speak to us through your word as only you can do. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, we don't know exactly when chapter 3 was written in relation to chapter 2, but we do know that the temperature in Babylon is definitely getting hotter. We're going to see here in verse 1 of chapter 3, one of the ways that it's getting hotter is that pride is running rampant. 
King Nebuchadnezzar, I'm going to refer to him as King Neb as we started last week since he's not here to kill me, made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth was six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Neb sent to gather the satraps, the pre prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justice, the magistrates, and all the officials, large government, of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Neb had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justice, the magistrates, and all the officials, glad we covered that twice, of the province gathered for the dedication of the image that King Neb had set up, and they stood before the image that Neb had set up, and the herald proclaimed aloud... You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Neb has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, glad we're covering this again too, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, Bagpipe and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Neb had set up. First thing I observe, and it seems pretty obvious, is the pride of King Neb. You see, the truth is, independent of accountability in our life, positions of authority can take you to some pretty dark places of pride. And clearly, Neb has arrived. He's elevating what it says, a, 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 a 60 cubit and, and it's six cubits breadth, or width, if you will. Basically, this in today's language would be a 90-foot tall statue of gold, about nine feet wide, so kind of a pillar-like shape. It's interesting that it's in gold. We don't know if it's solid gold or gold-plated. Either way, to me, I find it fascinating that for thousands of years we've elevated gold as the thing of extravagance. I was at a, someone's house getting a tour in Chicago, a mansion, some might say. He was the owner of a cha- chocolate company, so obviously a demand. Uh, but, but walking around, it was interesting how many different spots in his house had gold pillars. So uh, the awkward piece was then going and seeing his, his room that he was showing us, and it also had gold pil- pillars and gold sheets. I was like, who does that? Like, like who do, I'm pretty confident King Neb had some gold sheets. But either way, here, this extravagance was evidence of an ego. We're not exactly sure what the statue was. Some believe the most logical it would have been a statue of himself. I actually leaned towards one of another proposal that I thought was fascinating. I was reading about this week that the, if you remember the dream that King Neb had had, What part of the statue was gold in that dream? It was just the head pointing to the fact that his kingdom was limited. It was for only a period of time. This was maybe an an opposing uh, act to that prophecy, saying, no, my kingdom's going to last forever. We don't know for sure. Either way, the point being, it was definitely an act of the ego, right? Commanding that the entire all the people of his kingdom bend a knee, bow before this statue that he created. 
So looking at the description there, and in the, the herald proclaimed aloud. You imagine this, they're all gathered on this huge plain, which would have been outside of uh, present-day uh, Baghdad. This huge plain, they've got this statue, and they've got all the leaders gathered together, and you've got this guy heralding. I don't know if they rigged up some kind of microphone system, but I, I kind of picture from the, the character from the Lord of the Rings, or, or do you remember this, this guy Gollum, that, uh, that, that voice, like the, my precious... And I'm just picturing that, and he, he's saying, my precious, you are commanded, O peoples. We won't go there. But, but who calls people O peoples? Uh, but anyway, he commands, and it's not a joke. The command that he has has a consequence. If there's not obedience, what's the consequence? You're thrown into a fiery furnace. Uh, I don't know if any of you have any fears. My fear is tight spaces, but fiery furnace would, would make the, the list for sure of, of this idea of a miserable way to die, right? I had a, a volunteer in one of the churches that I was working at that he was, I was just making uh, uh, small talk with him, and he was telling me about his, his career and what he was doing. He was in, in school and taking some classes. But he, he said, you know, on the side, what I'm doing is I'm working at a pet crematory. I was like, well, that's got to be the worst possible job ever. And, and then he asked me one of the most bizarre questions you could be asked by somebody working at a crematory. He said, do you want to come and see? I was like, absolutely. And so, so we set up a time. I went over and met him. Uh, I think we had lunch first. Uh, but then, but, then, but then went into the crematory, and he's like, hey, you want to see the furnace where they actually burn the animals? Isn't this morbid in church? Sorry. And, uh, and so he said, there's a little peephole you can look through, and you see rows and rows. And the reason I bring that up is because it was horrible. Like, it's still etched in my memory to this day, this picture of a, a furnace and death. Like, it, it was one of those ones that's like, once it's in there, it's kind of hard to get out of your mind thinking this death that's on the line here, this threat that the, that the king is making is a pretty legit one, one to be feared by the audience. And this was a problem, especially for the Jewish exiles. Let me explain why. why. In, the second command, in the second commandment in Exodus 20, this is what it says from the Lord God himself, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Look at, listen to these words. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. So here, what's being asked of them isn't just a subtle little, well, I don't know. It's kind of up for debate if it's right or wrong. Like, this is as blatant as it gets. Bow to this statue that's been made by man at, when, when the music plays. And you're like, well, what's, what song are they playing? I was thinking the name of it is Everyone Worship Me or I Will Kill You. I think that's in the lyrics somewhere. But it's a huge crossroads for all of the Jewish exiles because they knew the truth. But what does it say in our text? It says, All the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image. It's a sad day for the Jewish exiles. See in verse 8 that not, thankfully, not everyone bowed. Therefore, at the time, and this is where we're seeing as the fire gets hotter, jealousy, 
Therefore, at the time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Neb, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. Whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace." There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Neb, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. So jealousy, obviously, on display. The first question that you might ask is, where's Daniel in all this? Do you, when you read this story, you're like, what's going on? Where's, where's he at? Where's our main man, Daniel? Some, some would believe that he being in the, 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 cat, in the king's uh, palace just hadn't been ratted out yet. So these guys are, are being tattletailed on. And I love how they're, they're kind of uh, smoozing up to the king. What, look at their conversation with the, him. The first thing that they say is to king live forever. Anybody read chapter 2? Does the, does the king live forever? So, so, so basically, they're, they're hoping for something that they know is not going to happen. Death rate's still 100% at that time as well as then. It made me think of this t-shirt. Maybe you've seen this before. The t-shirt that uh, Nietzsche, who's famous philosopher, is known for he was known for making this statement saying that God is dead, which is kind of comical. You see that his, uh, when he said that, only 17 years later, God had something to say. Nietzsche's dead. <laughs> Basically, the, the point being is, is that in our arrogance, thinking that we're going to beat this deal is kind of a comical thing. So I don't know if they're trying, they're buttering up, knowing his insecurity about his fleeting kingdom. But look how they approach it. They go back all the way through. They're like, you said that if they don't bow down, they're all going to die. It reminds me of kids that tattletale. Any parents have this? They always want to remind you exactly what you said, as if you don't remember, right? And so they're coming back and saying, but you said this was going to happen if they didn't do it. Like, they sound like infants. It's unbelievable. And that's the approach that they take. And look at the, the, the way that they, the, the, the ven, venom coming out. Certain Jews, then the accusations start. They pay no attention to you. They don't, in other words, they don't care about what you say. They won't serve your gods or bow to the image you put up. All of these appeals to what? His pride. His pride. And he buys it hook, line, and sinker. He, he's ready to take it. Like it. What does it say? It says that he's furious in rage. You got to wonder, in this point in the story, where all the rest of the Jews were at. Where are they at? Why is there, why is there only three standing? Why is there, what, does that mean all the rest have bowed? I propose so. As we follow Christ, a lot of times we'll see that as the world around us, the people that you'd least expect to bow begin to bow because danger reveals character. Even the idea of danger, you think about in our culture how little it takes for somebody to bow, to bow or bend a knee to the world around us. They just don't, most often people just don't even like the idea of not being liked. 
Just that alone, the threat of that alone is enough to, to clam up and be silent about Christ. But what did Jesus say to us? Luke 6, 26, Woe to you when all people speak well of you. Or Paul in 2 Timothy 3, 12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Pretty powerful words, expectations for those of us that are in Christ. Think about it, usually persecution is associated as a, as a pretty terrible word. We're like, oh, you, you want to avoid that at all costs. thought it was interesting, I was reading this week, when a prominent leader from the house church movement in China was asked how Americans can pray for them, he said, stop praying for persecution in China to end. For it is through persecution that the church has grown. We, in fact, listen to this, fascinating. We, in fact, are praying that the American church might taste the same persecution so revival would come to the American church like we have seen in China. You see, when the temperature raises, that brings to the surface who's fully in, who's, who's legit committed. So that's the, their prayer. So the question is, how are these guys going to respond? We can learn a lot from their response. Neb's obviously, we mentioned it, in a rage now. Verse 14, temperature rises. Neb answers and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? See the ego sneaking out there? Now, if you are ready... When you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is, listen to this, and who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Neb, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. The Neb was filled with fury, kind of a recurring theme. And the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men's were men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the fiery furnace because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in case you didn't get that, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. A lot happening here. I think it's interesting, the first thing that you notice is that the king gives them an easy way out. Bow and everything will be what? Well and good. It's interesting how the slippery slope is always usually pretty convenient, 
pretty, pretty easy to head that route. It's, it's easy to, to go the route of compromise. So he gives them an easy out. We can pretend this never happened. His arrogance, I have kind of alluded to it in there. He says, who is the God who would deliver you out of my hand? In other words, you guys, there's nothing that can rescue you. You're doomed. I'm, I'm taking you out, and there's nothing that can stop me and my kingdom. His pride is taken over. Now it's moved to rage. I'm sure this is quite the crossroad for these guys. At first, they said, hey, it was one thing to, to just eat veggies and skip the meat. Now this is like there's fire on the line. Like this is a, a, a big deal. But it's interesting to think how our true spirituality, our, our state of our, our spiritual position is a lot of times revealed when crisis hits, right? The state of our, our heart, where we're at, when we're diagnosed with cancer, when there's the loss of employment, when there's infidelity of a spouse, the prodigal child, infertility, loss of a loved one, legal issues, the list goes on. A lot can be revealed about a person in the time of crisis. See how they respond. Look what they say. We have no need to answer you in this matter. I'm pretty confident there's a little bit of head shake when they're saying that. In other words, there's no test needed. We don't have to wait till the next tune comes on the radio. We don't have to to play the song one more time because the response is going to be exactly the same. We're not bending a knee. Pretty powerful there. They had already resolved. It doesn't matter what the consequence is. We're not budging. We're not changing our heart on this. And I love their confidence in God. It says, He will deliver us out of your hand. This answers the question that the king had asked them. He says, who could, who could save you? Who could rescue you out of my hand? And we're like, we, we know exactly who can. But I also love the theology there that they have, that they have a clear understanding of how God operates. They say that he's able to deliver, but if he doesn't, we're still not bending our knee. Isn't that cool to think about? They understood how God works. God is able, listen to this, but not obligated. He's able, but not obligated. Just because he can doesn't mean he must. The question is, am I willing to submit to his will regardless regardless. Won't we, won't, we won't betray regardless of his decision. If you think about it, to say that God must do exactly what we want or else we're not loving him more, following him any longer, isn't that pretty much bringing him down to a, a human level? It's fine. To, it's, it's better. It's more healthy to get to the point where you're saying, you know what? I trust in his sovereignty and his will and maybe, just maybe, he knows what's best. You ever consider that in your circumstance? Maybe he has you right where he has you on purpose. Maybe there's a reason behind that. But either way, they're not bending a knee. And you see uh, Neb's response. It says that even his expression change. I find that fascinating that at one point in uh, chapter one, they had favor. But it's interesting when we go against, when we oppose, when we take a stand all of a sudden, the expression, and we see this collectively in the world around us, the expression towards us changes. Our world is okay when we say Jesus is a way to God. They don't really like the idea when we say Jesus is the way to God. 
You see, the world is fine until there's the collision of worldviews. They're content with us kind of doing our own thing, but all of a sudden the expression changes with the exclusivity of the gospel. But here, his expression changes. He's filled with fury. What does he do? He starts stirring the pot. He gets, he's like, man, I'm, I'm raising the temperature. I'm turning up the stove, whatever it was, uh, seven times hotter, which is kind of ironic because if you think about it, if you're wanting to do something really cruel to somebody, you'd put it at a pretty hot temperature and let it happen more gradually. Like bur- a burning furnace really hot is just going to take them out in a, a few seconds. I thought of that myself. But, uh, <laughs> but if you think about it, that, that wasn't the most cruel thing, but he's in this rage because why? Because they won't do what he wants. Why won't you do what I'm telling you? So what does it say happens? It says that they throw him in the fiery furnace. They throw them. A couple guards die in the process, showing again his, he's not really concerned about people. He just wants to make sure in his rage that he gets what he wants. Leaving the desperation point where only God can rescue them. So fun to see as you look in the Old Testament to see how many pictures there are of the gospel message. Isn't that it? They're at this, this place where they're helpless. They can't do anything. They're headed to a fiery furnace. Does that sound familiar to the gospel? Only God can intervene. Only God can rescue. And he does. Verse 24, Then King Neb was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Nice answer. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire. They are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Interesting. Then Neb came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High, come out. And come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In other words, you three come out. Whoever the other is, you stick around. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over their bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. And no smell of fire had come upon them pretty dramatic play out of this story. Imagine the horror of this. I was thinking about this. Wouldn't you, if you're Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego saying, hey, isn't there a, a better way out of this? Like, couldn't you have like some angels swoop down and take us out of the, the palace? Like, why did they, guys that were about to be rescued, have to go through such a traumatic experience? A lot of us today still ask that same question. Why do we have to stay in the furnace? Couldn't God take us out? Couldn't he, we're we're going to be rescued. Why couldn't he, he bail us out a little bit earlier? You imagine the horror, horror of their experience. Few reasons I would propose. One, we're going to see in this context, God ends up getting much greater glory the spotlight can you imagine do you think this story was told throughout the kingdom do you think people heard about how this played out do you think that passed through from the satraps to the whatever else like do you think that went went throughout the kingdom absolutely the spotlight was on god then i would also propose 
that you don't experience God in the same way as you would if you skip the fire. Some of us that are maybe some senior saints in the room, as they look back over their life experiences, can amen to that to say, you know what? God let me go through some pretty difficult seasons. I've had to go through this, I've had to go through that, but I wouldn't trade them. Because why? Because you encounter God at a level, at a degree that you wouldn't have if you had skipped them. If you had skipped them. That they how often, more often, God, God's with us in the fire rather than allowing us to skip the fire, right? More often, He's with us through the fire. And it's, you see here that the king's just watching this all play out. It's interesting. It says the king uh, Neb was astonished and rose up in haste. That tells us what? What was he doing if he had to rise up? He's just sitting there, man. I don't know if he's sitting through, watching through a, uh, through a display window or a big screen. He's got popcorn. I don't know what the setup was, but it's pretty twisted to think. He's just like, you know what? I'm going to watch the demise of these guys that oppose me. I want a front, hand view, uh, front row view to the, this play out. And what does he see? He sees three different miracles I'd propose. Pretty awesome if you think about it. The first one found it interesting, that they, were ba- that they were no longer bound. In other words, the only thing flammable on them was the chains that held them down. The chains that had, had caused them to be able to be drawn into the fire, that was the only thing that burned. Back to the gospel message, right? Only thing that's burned. The only thing that, that's released is, the, is, the, is what God wants to remove, the shackles that restrict us. Second miracle, the fact simply, the most obvious, that they didn't get burned at all. I think it goes an extra mile to say like, they're wearing all this flammable material. They're wearing this cloak and they're wearing this. They're, 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 they're just pretty much like Agora Hills, like ready and vulnerable to fire. But basically... You think about it, like that, they come out completely unburned. What does it say at the end there? That it says that their cloaks were not harmed and no smell of fire had come upon them. We're at the campfire here for our family camp out last night. And I remember driving home, I kind of cheated and went home and slept. Uh, but on my, on my drive home, uh, my mind needed to be sharp, you know. The, um, but on the drive home, I was doing a little bit of this, like, like man. I stink. Like just even being around the campfire, any other campers here that, that noticed that this morning, if any of you made it all the way through, there's the funny thing about when you're around the fire, you, you've got to expect to smell like it. It's a pretty beautiful picture to think. I, lo- I love uh, a quote uh, by Beth Moore. Uh, Josh would appreciate this. Full deliverance means no longer even smelling like smoke. Full deliverance means no longer even smelling like smoke. Back to the gospel message. Fourth and final piece of the miracles that he observed from his his seat on high is that there was a fourth person in the space. I I love that the king is like going going to his leaders and he's like, now I'm not real great with math, but I'm pretty sure that when we put it in, Two guys died and three guys went in. I'm pretty sure. Like, that was my, did you guys have the same equation? You know, like, he's, he's trying to confirm this with them, that making sure his math was right. And they're like, they're like, yep, we saw the same thing. Three were put in and a fourth was there. 
There's some debate over who the fourth was. Some would propose, as is even seen in the, the, the next section of Scripture, that it was an angel. I think it was uh, more likely the conclusion that Nebed had, like the son of gods, only I would take off the S, the son of God. The Old Testament points to a number of different times to what would be called a Christophany, which is where Jesus made himself known and present even in the Old Testament. Genesis 18, with the appearance to Abraham, Joshua 5, the, the captain of the Lord's army. There's multiple examples. We don't know for sure, but either way, either personally or through a direct messenger, Jesus showed up in the center of their trial. Jesus showed up in the center of their trial. And isn't that the promise that we have as believers still today? We, didn't get to, we don't get to skip the trials. Like, in fact, it's, it's told that they're expected. They're to be expected. It's actually a problem if they're not there. You have to wonder, wait a second. But here, as with us still today, Jesus is right there in the middle. Just to, I love that picture. They're strolling around. I don't know what they're really walking around and doing in there. But either way, they're walking around, hanging out, maybe chatting it up. I don't, I don't know exactly what was happening. But either way, God's presence was there in the midst of the fiery furnace. See a pretty awesome response from the king, at least from an outside perspective. It's like, man, I'm giving this guy a promotion. Uh, Neb, Neb answers and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. Therefore, I make a decree. He loves decrees. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb. He's used that one before too. And their house is laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. I think it's interesting to see his response there. A couple different times, he's, he's, he's jazzed about what just played out. He's like, yeah, these guys are so great, they ignored my command. He wasn't saying that just a, a little bit ago, but he acknowledges a couple things. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, acknowledging him as their God, not quite willing to adopt him as his own. What else does it say? It says, blessed be the God of them. Two different times, he points to the fact that he, he's an awesome God of theirs, but I'm not quite ready to bring down this 90-foot golden statue. You know, like, I, there's nothing that's pointed in Scripture that says that that actually transpires. So he's, he's cool with saying, man, that's awesome that you have this God that's doing all this cool stuff, and I'm going to rip everybody apart that tries to come against you, but I'm not ready to bend my knee, pretty much clinging to his pride through this. We're going to see God deal with his pride next week, but a couple observations just as I conclude. The thing that's pretty neat through all of this is that regardless of the temperature in the backdrop of this story, the rising temperature, these men remained the same. They stood firm. Some years back, this is a little bit embarrassing, so I was involved at uh, Harvest Bible Chapel, and I was really involved with their VBS program, making these different fun videos for the kids. So I got introduced for the first time to a green 
wall or green screen. Have you guys seen this technology? It's kind of interesting. And so here's an embarrassing revelation here. So I was known as the character was Scuba Scott, and you're not allowed to refer to me as that any longer. And it was fun because they took the picture, that's creepy me in the corner there, and they took the picture and then they played with all these different backdrops that kept changing. I'm in the middle of the ocean, I'm uh, in space, like we, just, we looked at all these possibilities of this ever-changing backdrop, but the fun thing is you always had Scuba Scott there, like it was unchanged. And, and, and I was thinking about that as it relates to this, and maybe it's a loose connection, Definitely a loose connection. As the backdrop of our culture is constantly changing, temperatures rising, the decline is left and right, isn't that the picture of what we're called? Not to be scuba scout, we could take that down in fact, but, but, but here the, the picture of remaining the same regardless of the change of the backdrop, remaining the same. That's what happened with these guys. They had been brought into an entirely different kingdom. They're taken from everything that they know. Even as children, they're, they're moved. And what happened? They're like, you know what? Even though the backdrop has changed, we're still not bending a knee. We're still not changing. We're not, we're not faltering. And I'm guessing that that resolve, what do you guys think? Here's interpretation by voting. I'm guessing that that resolve didn't transpire in the moment. I'm guessing that that resolve didn't transpire in the moment. You see, the truth is, I'm confident that they'd made up their mind prior to that. When the question has already been answered, we simply act on it. When the question has already been answered, when they've already decided, hey, I'm not bending a knee, then it doesn't matter what comes. You're like, hey, it doesn't make a difference. I just have to act on the decision that's already been made. For us as a church, I think it would be a healthy habit for us to ask that question on occasion, have I come to that resolve? Have I made it? We have a statement here that I pieced together there on the conclusion. By his power, I'll stand for Jesus no matter what. Has that resolve been made in your mind? By his power, I'll stand for Jesus Christ no matter what. I think it's a healthy exercise for us to to come to that resolve, to say like, you know what, regardless of the changing backdrop, whatever happens, I'm going to stand. I'm going to invite Chad to come up with uh, one last song. But as he's doing that, I'd like us to reflect just on those words. Is that a statement we're ready to make? Is that a statement we're willing to make? I won't bend a knee. I won't change. I won't falter. I'm standing firm because I propose there's a strong chance that we're going to see an amplified opportunity to stand firm in our lifetime. Anybody else think that's probably going to happen? I'm thinking so. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for this beautiful picture thousands of years ago of a declining culture and you, your followers standing firm and you responding as only you do. When we stand for you, it seems to be a reoccurring theme in Scripture that you stand for us. Thank you for that picture. I thank you that you are present in that trial, that you are right there in the furnace with them. We praise you, God. We pray that you'd give us the the strength. We acknowledge that we can't do any of this on our own. It's not because we mustered up 
more might or strength. It's through the power of your Holy Spirit working inside of us that we're able to stay firm as the backdrop changes. Thank you, God, for your grace, for your patience in us. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. We lift the cross high. It's the awesome lyrics of that song. And that's really the picture that we're praying towards is that resolve is like, man, I'm, a, I'm not going to the left. I don't, re, I don't care how he responds. I don't care what happens here. I'm, I'm staying constant with a changing backdrop. Amen? Do that in God's power. Have a wonderful week. Thank you.